This is episode 100 with the homies, Jack and Jorge. Welcome to the Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division One swimmer, personal performance coach, and forever athlete. I'm nervous. I'm actually nervous for this one. Jack and Jorge, it's a pleasure to have you guys on the show. For those of you who don't know, I grew up with these boys. We met at nine years old, swam our messy pretty much our whole lives together. Jorge and I went to University of Delaware. We did our things there while Jack was over here setting Ivy League records up at Columbia University. Let's dive into it, boys. Welcome. Let's do it. Thank How's it you. feel to be mic'd up? It feels good, you know. Don't yeah. really know what to do with my hands right now, but. <laughs> this has been a long time coming. We've been planning this for weeks, so glad yeah. we're finally getting it done. Definitely. Good, good news is it's primarily audio. The video is only for the first 10 minutes, so like, great. do whatever with your hands. Very good, very good. Thanks for having us on. <laughs> yeah. Dude, of course, I want to dive into where honestly the athletic mindset even really started and I couldn't think of two better guys to dissect that with me because I think back to just our childhood and honestly you guys made swimming so fun for me and I think because it was so fun it was able to become this vehicle that we all thrived in so where do you guys want to start <laughs> it was, it's, been, it's been a long journey that's for sure yeah. you know I mean, it's it's kind of hard to pick a starting spot, but maybe – I got yeah. this. First first starting point, What I would love to know each of our first impressions of each other when we first started at RMSC because I, I definitely remember each of you, but I would be curious to hear what you guys thought of one another as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Well, because I started off in the YMCA, and I started off with Molly Kaysen too, and then that's when I moved over to RMSC. I think – I forget who – had finally convinced my parents to switch me over to RMSE and my mom didn't want to because it was like super competitive and in the swimming world obviously it's a small world and stuff but I remember I walked into those locker rooms the first person I saw was Nick Hammond and we hit it off like right off the start and then you know obviously I met you guys and then we all just became like super close after that I don't remember what my first exact thoughts were but I remember thinking like okay this is like actually a legitimate swim group and we just all kind of just hit it off from there agree i think for me it was a little bit different because i really starting rmsc at nine years old was my first exposure to year-round swimming i'd been doing the whole mcsl summer club thing before that and then i came in with a real chip on my shoulder i was not as fast as you guys or, or some of our other friends michael thomas those guys who were putting up quick times at that age and you know wanted to i think when you guys were 10 you were in advanced juniors and i was still in juniors and I, I really just wanted to get up and train with you guys because, you know, we'd talked at, at, at meets and stuff and on the pool deck. And I loved hanging out with you guys, but wasn't quite there from a swimming standpoint. So just putting in that work to get with you guys on a daily basis was, you know, kind of my first exposure to. <laughs> it was definitely a lot of work that went into it. Yes, that's sir. for sure. It's hilarious because that was a similar motivator to me. I think I, I had spent one day in juniors post minis and. I saw people that we were friends with and I was like, I don't know. I got to get my head out of my ass. I got to (laughs) join those guys because not only were they more fun to be around, I resonated with them more, but I knew like I needed to be in that crowd to get to where I wanted to go. And I credit Jorge to being one of those guys. Like I remember when you came over from the Y and I was like, who is this dude? Like he's Mm -hmm. so fast. I just I loved racing you from a very early on age because I knew like you were going to be the guy that if I ever wanted to improve, like I had to go through 
like I had to race you head to head. So you provided a very early fuel there. It was fun, man. Funny how those tables turn later on, but maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll get there. Maybe, maybe we won't. But so I guess you were there for a while, actually. Now that I think about it, because your dad was coaching minis at the time. Yeah, I mean, I I think I started RMSC before both of you guys. I started at I want to say six and a half, seven years old, and I remember I was with Marianne Jabaley. Was Tommy Jabaley's mom was my first coach at RMSC. And my dad was coaching like the advanced minis and talk about another motivator of like, here they are in the fast lanes in the well. And I'm all the way with the, the not so great kids. And very early on, it was like Michael Thomas was over there. I was like, I want to train with him. And I it was kind of always the theme, like being grouped in with the slower kids, but wanting to be with the faster kids because that's where my friends were. Right. It was a big mm-hmm. motivator. Yeah, absolutely. And and right from the get-go, I think we all kind of knew that this wasn't going to be something that we were going to half-ass. You know, if you're going to swim year-round, the sport, like, frankly, can kind of suck enough that it's really not worth your time if you're not going to give it your all. And I think we all shared that, you know, motivation and really helped us from the from the early days. Yeah, there was definitely no break back in those days. We were training year-round, literally year after year. And then I guess, like, we had maybe a little bit of a break, like, at the beginning, but... Once you had, like, that big meet, what was it, like, Tom Dolan? Yeah. That was, like, the biggest meet. And then right after that, then we had all those, like, club meets. And it's just, like, you didn't want to do poorly in those meets either. So you still had to at least, like, put in some effort. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we were grinding year-round. Well, I think it's hilarious about, like, our dynamic. It started off, like, at such an early age, like, 10, 11 years old, where we had no problem calling each other out on our bullshit. Like, I remember Jack being like, oh, I got too much homework. And we were like, dude, shut up. Like, suck it <laughs> up. Like, you get get your butt to practice. Like, we're here working our tail off. Yeah. It's amazing because I think 15, 16 years yeah. later, we still share that same kind of yeah. drive. Like, living with you guys has been so helpful in my own business because I see the work that you guys put in on a day-to-day basis. And I'm like, I'm remiss if I, like, put a day off. I and it's so hard being my own boss to be right. on all the time, but you guys still provide that fire all these years later, which right. is pretty cool. No, definitely. And I think, obviously, well, we always got to that point in the season where it's like we had those Monday and Wednesday morning practices, <laughs> and then we were, we were all always there that Friday morning, but, like, those Monday, Wednesday mornings, no one went on Monday, and then it, get, it got to that point in the season where it's like, all right, maybe I'll start turning up on, you know, Monday and then also Wednesday morning to, like, start actually, like, you know, putting in the yardage for the weeks and so forth. But, yeah, you're right about Jack. But I guess that did pay off for you since you were the only one who went to an Ivy League squad <laughs> out of the three. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah, all that homework paid dividends, I yeah. guess. But yeah. How would no. you find that balance between academic success and swim success? Because I think you did it a lot better than a lot of us. At the expense of my social life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, those it, damn dogs. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's a tough balance to find, especially in, in high school. You're getting pulled in a ton of different directions. But I was really fortunate in retrospect to have, you know, parents who really set me up to succeed. And obviously a friend group that set me up to succeed. And really just surrounding myself with people who wanted the best for me, who pushed me to be my best self was really important. And I, I think, you know... I probably didn't realize it at the time, but I, I got really lucky with my situation in terms of the people that I was around, and thanks to them. <laughs> so we weren't like Amen, you slack Amen off, brother. Dude. No, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> From the both of us. <laughs> no, we, all jokes. We got to give a quick shout out to the parents. Obviously, That's, I think that was honest. Looking back on it, part of the coolest thing was we were able to all kind of 
turn off that switch. I mean, we're all hyper-competitive dudes, and I, I loved racing both of you, and I, I honestly hate to lose to either of you, even now, whether we're playing cornhole or other games. But I think I credit our parents to doing such a good job of bringing us together in environments outside of the pool. Like, I look back, Definitely. some of my best memories are those Friday afternoons after practice going to different restaurants in White Oak and all these other areas 100%. with you guys. And we were able to just turn it off and just be dudes with one another. Yeah. So. 100%. Shout out to them. 100% agree. Definitely shout out to them. And I think we were so close because they were also so close with each other. And yeah. our parents were just like totally different from each other. Just like kind of how we are as well. But yeah. it just kind of worked. Mm-hmm. But like my mom, you know, like just hearing her in the stands, like yelling at the top of her lungs where you don't hear anyone else in the pool like while you're swimming. But, you know, you sure as heck hear at least one of my mom's screams <laughs> like from, you know, the bleachers way up there. Hilarious. But yeah. I feel like the competitive edge between us was also like there was a competitive edge between our parents as well because obviously they want their kids to be you know the best and even though we're friends it's like that friendly competition which i think definitely at least like after swimming after i graduated retired that's what carried on the most you know what i mean like that competitive spirit but in a friendship way which can be tough to kind of channel yeah dude yeah. what i love about your mom shout out to celeste because <laughs> From an early age, it didn't matter what the meet was. It could be the freaking January Open, dude. and she is on her feet, <laughs> top of her lungs. And I think that's so cool because that, like, to me, what that instilled in me was, like, yo, it doesn't matter what the stage is. Like, let's show up and, like, let's perform at our best. And I, I remember you at that age in particular. Like, every time you hit the water, it was the best time. And that was, like, so inspiring. And I think Jack and I had – times like that later on in our careers where we were able to just like it didn't matter what the situation was like we were gonna go a lifetime best time at a seemingly meaningless meet which was super cool yeah absolutely i think it's it's really remarkable that both us and our parents really had that ability to turn it on and off right you Mm -hmm. know because when we're in the water and i'm in the pool or in a lane next to one of you guys bet your ass you know your parents aren't rooting for me they're rooting for their son's success but immediately after that if my parents weren't the first person to congratulate me on a good race it was going to be one of your parents yeah it was a community 100 percent. that's so true that's very factual yeah and like i always remember too and it it wasn't just them either but it was also a lot of like the other parents as well or like even like the armacy culture too if you kind of break it down also other coaches from other sites are coming up to you they're saying like great job and you know, obviously we're racing against their swimmers as well, but at the end of the day, it was all just friendly competition. Never really thought about it that way, but definitely a good upbringing to, mm-hmm. you know, come about because I don't think many people really have the chance to be a part of like such a community that's like that large, which swimming is small in general, but to everyone understand that like love and compassion and it's just a friendly competitive sport. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's super cool about it is like, yeah, when, when I was head-to-head against Jorge or head-to-head against Jack, like, obviously, like, I wanted to be the one that put my hand on the wall first. But any other time, like, even if I lost to you guys, deep down I was, like, I was thrilled for you dudes to be successful because I just – I saw what you, we all went through behind the scenes. And I think we still carry that with us today. Like, honestly, if I'm not the one winning, like, I want it to be you guys. Like, I'm – full support there which is super cool i want to ask you jorge because obviously early on you had not just like some success you were top 16 and multiple events in the 
freaking nation at an early age. What was it like to kind of juggle that attention at such an early age? <laughs> it, no, it's a funny thing to bring up because I, I have thought about this before. And, like, truthfully, what I remember mostly about my swimming career was when, you know, that legacy didn't really kind of last anymore. And, you know, I had other people, like, kind of surpass me. And that's what really kind of, like, resonates with me mm. the most because it was definitely tough, right? And I think during the times where, you know, I was, you know, finishing first a decent amount of times and I was ranked, you know, whatever it might have been, it was a time where maybe, like, I kind of feel – whether I was definitely putting the work in the pool. I mean, obviously I was racing, you know, swimming with you guys and you guys definitely saw that, but maybe I was growing a little bit more or quicker. So it was easier, right? Even with the smaller meets, I'll, you know, dive into the pool and I'll hit a best time with like in the heat of training and no taper and things like that. But it was kind of like easier in the sense. Right. Mm -hmm. And then as I developed in my career from like 16 and above, I really had to put in a lot of work. I really had to focus. Okay. What can I eat? How, can, how should I taper and things like that, which is something that I didn't have to do at the younger age, right? And I'm not really sure in terms of how I handled the, the attention. I mean, I kind of loved it, to be honest. I never really felt, thought of it as like, oh, like I'm handling this. It was mm. just what it was. And I liked the feeling of winning. And that's something that, you know, I just knew I was going to do before I even like hit the pool or even before like that meet was even scheduled to to happen right i just like had that mentality like okay like i'm gonna dive into this pool and i'm gonna give it the best i have and i know it's gonna be enough to like win this thing but then that quickly changed afterwards once i started competing against you know way older kids and i actually had to kind of redirect my focus on how am i going to train i actually got to think about my stroke and where how can i get my my flip turn quicker how many dolphin you know underwaters can i do and you know, to still maintain that, you know, lung capacity at the end of the day to finish this race and not exhaust myself too early in the race, which when I was younger, that kind of stuff didn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, so, yeah, I guess interesting question, but yeah, I, those are good times. And, you know, you guys definitely felt that on the latter half of our swimming careers. Well, I think that's the coolest part about it, though, is, I mean, I look at our friendships over the years and we all had that spotlight on each of us, like individually, respectively, at some point in our careers. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. like you were the best one forever. Like it, we were always kind of trading that spot, which made it super fun. It made it this like right. never ending game. I looked at it as like, dang, like I <laughs> success isn't permanent. Like I could be the best one today, but I mean, very well, next meet, go around, either of you could beat me. So right. that like, was super cool. What's hilarious is that I remember when things started turning for both of you guys, you and the 500 freestyle metros, and then when Jack went to that meet <laughs> in Virginia, I remember, like, that exact, like, swim meet. I, we weren't there in Virginia, but, you know, I, I remember when you had called us or we were, like, following you, and we were just like, what, it, what are these times – how does Jack even look going this fast? <laughs> like, these times are so ridiculous, you know? But – those are the times that I actually remember more than most other things. Well, I, I want to actually ask Jack about that period because, I mean, for context, for those listening in, Junior Nationals is like the biggest, one of the biggest meets that we can make at that age. Sophomore year of high school is really where this went down. And I remember telling our, going into school that Wednesday and saying to my teachers like, hey, just so you know, I'm going to be out Thursday, Friday this week. And if I do well enough, like, I won't be there all next week. I'll be in Florida. And they were like, 
what are you talking about, kid? You're like 16, 15 <laughs> years old. Like, what? You're going to be in Florida? You might not be there. Like, don't you know your schedule? And I remember specifically that meet, obviously, was great memories for me. Like, I qualified, Jorge qualified, and Jack didn't. He missed the, the cut. But I, what well, I think the coolest part was, was I think that experience, I want to get your take on this, Jack, turned you into an absolute freaking savage because you took that and I think you just instilled this chip on your shoulder. So what was that like? Because I remember trying to be happy for myself, but I was obviously bummed that you weren't joining us that go round. But ultimately, looking back on it, I think you needed that experience to unleash this potential that you had that we didn't even know Absolutely. was there. Absolutely. I think getting to the subject of this podcast, this is really where I learned how to find a mindset that like helped me succeed. So, you know, before that, you know, 12 to 15, call it, I was dropping time just because I was getting bigger, stronger. I was putting in the work on a daily basis. And then we get to that meet and I was 15 at that senior champs where I missed junior nationals. And, you know, looking back on it, I, I definitely did not realize it at the time, but looking back on it, my mindset was not right. I was not focused on the things that I needed to do. Really, like, there were two weeks between that senior champs last chance meet and the meet in Virginia where I did qualify for junior nationals. Nothing in my training changed in those two weeks. It was my mindset that was wrong. I remember distinctly, and I think we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. 400 IM was really my best chance to make it at senior champs. I go up for finals. I take off my shorts. I realize I never changed into my fast skin. I'm still in my speedo. Like, I just oh was God. not focused. And so two weeks later, I'm at Virginia Tech at sectionals, and my mindset going into that meet was basically, okay, you just sucked two weeks ago. Expectations are low. You're going to prove everybody wrong. That was the mindset that helped me succeed for the next couple of years, just telling myself, you're the underdog here, and you're about to wow everybody. You're about to make people say, who's that kid? So I think that was a really important lesson for me to learn. I completely agree. That's how I thought about my races over the next three to four years when I really had my best period in swimming was mm. just making myself the underdog and, and not really taking the pressure off my shoulders, but putting the pressure on somebody else in my mind. Yeah, sometimes that's really all it took. I remember even like in those days, I'm like, all right, if I make B finals, now I have the pressure of you know being in A finals. And I did that multiple times, especially as we got older, where it started getting to a point where I didn't do it purposely, but I just didn't have a good prelims and I was always a better swimmer at night. Mm. But the pressure of not being in that A final and being the B final for some reason was a lot more inviting to unleash that potential that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you could swim loose then, right? Like Definitely. when that pressure is off of you. But on the flip side, like you can't win an event from the B final. 100%. <laughs> so how'd you, how'd you learn to balance that? Like how'd you learn to still push for the A final even though like – the B finals call on your name and it's like, Hey man, like Jorge, just come here. You swim with less pressure. Like you're going to go faster. Yeah. I, I mean, it was pretty much a rude awakening because well, I was never that morning swimmer. And when you have those thoughts and you think about that and like, that's like what you think in your mind for so many years, mm. it's like instilled in you. Right. So once things got pretty serious and everyone else got faster, having a bad morning, it wasn't enough to get you into the A finals, right? So once I went through that de detrimental factor multiple times, it was like, okay, like how am I going to be a better morning swimmer 
to get to the A finals. So there was definitely a time period where it's not because I didn't want to make the A finals. I literally just couldn't because mm. I wasn't swimming fast in the morning. And then in the B finals at finals, I would be, my time would be like, t- would I finish third or second, sometimes first from the A final. Well, that's what I think is interesting about, I mean, thoughts after they happen enough times, they become attached to emotion and being, right. become instilled in our subconscious, which I think is what's makes that so challenging to overcome because now it's the subconscious wiring in our brain that, Hey, I'm not a morning swimmer. So therefore I have almost this backdoor excuse of, well, if I didn't make the A final, it's cause I'm not a morning swimmer. Like I'm going to perform better at night, which is just super unique. I think with our sport, because you have to learn how to perform at any time of day. But I think we all had learned at some point, like to perform just well enough to make the A final and then let it rip. At, right. at night, and that's really where it came down to. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that's what made you such a passionate and just overall good swimmer later on in your swimming career. Because when you were younger, like, you know, you had Jack and I and, you know, other people who, you know, were faster, and you were always pushing. You always had to be on, right? Mm-hmm. And necessarily, I didn't always have to be on to get to where we all wanted to be to get to that f- final destination. But you always had to push, right? And then you, once you got to the point where you're like, now I'm fast, you already had the mindset instilled that like you always have to perform, perform yeah. and you always did. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting point because, yeah, for so long, I wasn't the fastest by any stretch. Like I had to go a best time, and not only did I have to go best time, it had to be by a lot in the mornings just to throw my name in the hat to have a shot at the, the evening swim. And then, yeah, at the later point of my career, it was like, okay, you mean I don't have to go best time? Like, that was so nice to, especially in the 4IM or the 500 free, where it's like, okay, cool. If as long as I'm within five seconds of my lifetime best time, I'm probably going to qualify for the A final and I'm probably going to have a good lane. And then I can kind of have some more energy in reserve, whereas I just need to let it rip in the morning, pray that I make it back in a good spot, and hope I have something left. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a good. Sw- it was an interesting switch. Yeah, and I, I think learning to trust your training was really important too, especially our coach in high Definitely. school, Brad Coyle, the latter analogy, the apple. I think Mac Daddy B. Rad, Mac shout Daddy out B. to Rad. you, <laughs> legend. I think learning to trust your training, learning what a good f- swim felt like was really important for all of us. And, and, you know, just learning how to swim within yourself in the morning not kill yourself and still make make that a final and get that good lane that you needed without you know expending all your energy was really important too yeah and we spent so much time growing up swimming together and we all went through those different phases where one of us were faster than you know the other and it was just so funny how that works and i remember when i was doing a little bit better than you guys when we were younger you guys might have been asking me, like, oh, like, what's my routine? What am I doing? Things like that. <laughs> and once everything flipped, I remember just so clearly we were standing at the pool at the University of Maryland, and Jack was just doing swimming out of his mind. I forget how old we were. And I was like, Jack, like, what's your entire schedule? Like, give me your itinerary. <laughs> what are you eating? <laughs> what are you eating? How long is your nap between films and finals? <laughs> what kind of music are you listening to? And at that time, it was six foot, seven foot by Little Wayne. <laughs> and remember we played that like a hundred times, dude? Like that entire like four-day meet? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> All I do that is wait. noodles and company. Oh, uh, noodles and company. <laughs> noodles and company isn't it hilarious how like superstitious we all became in like 
something that we found worked for us that like looking back, like knowing what I know now about nutrition, I'm like, was the noodles and company Wisconsin mac Crazy. and cheese with grilled chicken Dude, and, my and mom, a half and half soda, like the best thing <laughs> to refuel. I don't know, but it, it worked it felt, for us. It felt right. Yeah, yeah, it felt right. Dude, my mom used to give me, she used to stop at McDonald's on the way to the meet and buy me a McFlurry. And because the one time she did that, like I swam extremely well. I was actually, what was it called again? I can't believe I, I mean, you're forgetting this, but like the, the two people who were like, if someone doesn't show up, like, well, oh, uh, alternate. I was an alternate, mm-hmm. and it was a 200 freestyle. And then she was like, "All right, here's a McFlurry, like blah blah." blah. Like you might not go in, so it doesn't really matter. And then I end up swimming, and I'm in lane one, and I end up winning that heat. And ever since <laughs> that, my mom literally shoving this McFlurry down my throat before every final. And I'm by the time the meet ended, I was like six McFlurries, like in. I'm like, oh my god, like I can't swim. And like the last day was always my best day. <laughs> I'm over here get, making sure I'm getting like a smoothie king <laughs> <laughs> down in McFlurries. Dude, those were those legendary times. <laughs> Dude, it's hilarious how we all found that thing though. Like I got to give a shout out to my dad. Like even in the college years, like jokingly, I found that the green tea tango smoothie with mango and energy from Smoothie King, the 32 ounce was like my go-to and that became like my – honestly like flow trigger of like when i have this i perform well just like the mcflurry became your flow trigger and i look back on it my dad did crazy things to like just get those i remember conferences one year he drove 40 minutes away from where we were to like go pick up five so that we could put them in the hotel bridge so that i could have them before prelims and finals and like have that thing so it's amazing the lengths that our parents went to to make sure that we were successful definitely Absolutely. Absolutely, and I, I can't give enough of a shout-out to my dad for driving me to all those 4.45 a.m. practices before I had my license. And I know. <laughs> Isn't it funny that what our parents did during those practices, like, it all differed, right? Like, my dad would <laughs> – do you guys remember when my dad would get me to NDG practices at, like, 4 a.m., like, 45 minutes before our practice – I would have to freaking sit there with Chris for a half hour at least <laughs> while my dad got his swim in because he wanted a clear pool before we practiced, and then he would go run. Yeah. And I'm like, geez, Dad, really? Like, we got to get up at 3.30 for this practice? Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, your dad, your dad loved it, man. He was always up and at it at that time, and now looking back in it and us being older – I'm just like, there's no way I'm ever doing that if my kids are in <laughs> There is just no way. I'm but taking dude, a nap in the car. <laughs> yeah, but he, will, he'd be, he was hustling on the treadmill. Every time I walked down those steps at MLK, I, I knew that Mr. Camp was going to be on that treadmill shirtless, hustling, dude, <laughs> yeah. sweat dripping, getting after it. And honestly, like that got me amped up because you don't want to jump in a cold pool. And I'm like, all right, here's Mr. Camp like hustling on the treadmill. I have to get after it today. Absolutely. And then he became my teacher in middle school. Yeah, yeah, that <laughs> and so then I would see him a few hours later because I was in his class. It was awesome. <laughs> that, would, that was the added dynamic I was going to bring up. Like in yeah. seventh grade, he taught you, and there was that added layer of like if you skipped Wednesday morning, like not only was I there working, like you knew he was there working. And Definitely. You had the bagel boys in your class. And That's he'd right. always be like, 
Jorge, sorry, no bagel today. Like, you weren't at practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were no, definitely, definitely. I remember the one time I took a nap or, like, I accidentally kind of fell asleep. You know, you did one of those things where you put your head in your elbow, like, on the desk. And I didn't go to practice that morning either. And I remember your dad came and, like, completely just called me out in the middle of class in front of everyone. I was like, oh, my God. And the big boys came in. He goes, well, no bagel for you, too. And I was just, like, double embarrassed. <laughs> I'm getting secondhand embarrassment thinking about that time now. <laughs> Well, do you think like that kind of stuff contributed to your success? Because I look back at my experiences and like I I needed that like being called on my bullshit, whether it came from you guys, whether it came from parents or came from coaches. I thrived when I was told like, hey, take your head out of your ass. Like there's some work to be get done. Do you think that added to like the fuel for you guys as well? Yes, I do. And I think a lot of times it came from you guys and it came from Maneth. I think those were probably, I mean, everyone, like I said earlier, we were really lucky to find ourselves in a situation where we were just surrounded by people who would do that for us. But primarily you guys and Maneth, when I was actually in the pool, if I'm not putting in my full effort, you can be damn sure Maneth's going to let me know about it. And I'm going to be embarrassed because Corey's going to be beating me by two (laughs) seconds on each of the 3100s. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah, I I think that I don't really know how to put it into words, but there was just something about our relationship, something about our our friendship slash rivalry where I was never going to let myself have that practice where you were just kicking my ass the whole time or you on IM sets. I think, you know, just that, that deep respect that we had for one another and that deep understanding of what we were all capable of and the, the push to be successful. I think it was the best situation I could have found myself in. Yeah. Remember that 500, 400 IM set that Maneth oh used to put God. us through? <laughs> yeah. that, those are crazy. I was about to say, I, I think back to like crazy training sets. That was one of them, obviously. Fly free set back in Chris's group was another one where we were like, I mean, do you guys remember how bad that got long course? when you, He always threw that at the end of practice. And I, I, now looking back, I have such a deep appreciation for where he put it because it was a mental game mm-hmm, right like, who the heck is doing 1650s alternating fly free on 40 seconds long course at, at what 13 or 12 13 years old yeah. at the end of practice like insane but we needed that kind of push and what i think is cool looking back on it and even now i know when you guys like call me out on something it comes from a place of just deep love and care and i think that's how all of us, I think, took it. I don't want to speak for you guys, but that's how it's at least felt for me over the years. Of If you guys call me out on something, I'm like, damn, I needed to hear that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I think with some of the people that I don't know as well, when they call me out on stuff, I'm, I try not to be, but sometimes I'm a little reactive. I, I just say like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, blah, blah. But with you guys, I know where it's coming from. And it's, you know, it's very easy for me to, to take a step back and say, like, okay, you know, I know that Corey isn't just saying X, Y, or Z just to get on my nerves. I know that he's actually, like, he sees a problem here. So I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. No, definitely. I think, I don't know, I feel like I was, well, I know I was always kind of like that jokester, you know, <laughs> class clown type when we were younger. And if you were to dish something out at me, you, you guys could always expect like a chirp back in like a funny way. But I definitely kind of took it to heart. But, you know, I feel like once I got to college and again, Corey and I went to college together and we had the same coach. But Coop, he for some reason, like the way he dished out, you know, 
all the above, it, w- it, like, it just resonated with me so mm. well, right? Like, his personality and the way he did it in such a, like, I'm not saying this in a mean way. He, it was always, like, in a joking way, but it always, you know, it hit home. It hit home. And it was more than Maneth or Chris or Brian, you know. But, yeah, Maneth actually also did call me out a, a decent amount of times, too, especially when Corey would jump into the pool, first one in, <laughs> oh 400 done for his warm-up. And then Maneth would be like, get in the pool, like literally pushing me in. I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. And I was just waiting for Corey to get close enough to the wall so I can jump right in front of him and do <laughs> a massive cannonball. <laughs> and then get right behind him once he did the flip turn and start pulling his leg. <laughs> Dude, I'll, I'll never remember how frustrated I was that one day that Cameron Lincoln drove me to practice and we showed up literally 30 seconds late. And for context, like you were saying, like I was always I prided myself in always being the first one in the pool. Like I loved just knowing that like it was clear water and I'm going to like start us off on a good note. And like I knew you guys were going to hop in and follow my lead at some point. Whether it was a 300 in, 100 in, whenever Maneth pushed you in, uh, <laughs> that kind of thing. But do you guys remember when I showed up 30 seconds late one time and I just go to Maneth like, oh, what lane should I go in? There's no, he goes, there's no space for you today. And I go, what do you mean, Maneth? There's like three people in lane four. Like, can I hop in there? And he oh goes, God. no. I'm like, there's no space for you today. It's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> All these years, you guys are showing. <laughs> Wait, so so you didn't swim? No, he kicked me out of. That was the one time I got kicked out of, out of practice by Maneth. I had to go. Oh my god! I, remember that. I had to go swim with Chris in NDGs, and it, it was like this. <laughs> oh my god! This moment of like kind of me and Cameron rolling up to Chris, like with our tail between our legs, like, "Hey, we messed up. We were thirty seconds late." And nothing but love for Maneth, but you know how he was. He had those moods of like. He would take sometimes like to the extreme serious where you were like, really? Like you care about this one this time? Like you let it slide all the time. <laughs> right. That was one of those cases, but you guarantee I was never late after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Maneth had that way of doing that. You know, he, he knew when to keep you honest. He definitely, uh, he, I think <laughs> a lot of times could spot our bullshit better than we could ourselves. And probably just because he's been doing that for so long and he's he's gotten so good at it. And he's seen every trick in the book, but he was always just that guy to to see what we needed and do it for us in terms of in terms of motivation in terms of keeping us honest in terms of you know our training schedule whatever it was i want to ask you guys favorite training moment that you guys had together in high school what what kind of stands out when you think back to that time god the ones that i hated and i also loved and learned to love later on for some reason, especially once we started swimming outside in the long course pool, Maneth had Jack and I race the 4am in practice all the damn time. And I was I'm like, point to the same thing. Dude, <laughs> and I, I, I'm like, I hated that. But then we got to the meet, and then we were like right next to each other, and it just felt like we were training again. I'm like, was Maneth doing that because of this moment? And then, you know, kind of made you wonder, and I feel like he definitely had a few things that he did at practice to like replicate what a meet is gonna, was going to, going to be like, but... You know, that's definitely one of my very fond memories that when I look back on it, I'm like, that was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to point to that exact same one. And then if I had to point to one with Corey, it would be that 3100s. I don't remember exactly when this was, but it would have been senior year, I think. We were, I don't, I don't know what was going on that day, but we just started holding around, you know, 55, 56. And by the end of it, we were going 52, 53. We just kept getting faster. We were descending the entire set. And yeah. Maneth and Brad 
are just like in our ear. Keep it going. Keep it going. That was probably the best set I've ever had, and a large part of it is due to the guy sitting next to me. Well, I was, I was going to point to that one with Jack, too. I'm getting chills thinking about it. <laughs> I had, like, I, I had quote-unquote messed up. I had Sarku Japan, like teriyaki <laughs> chicken, right before practice because that was back in the day when Maneth- That was a shit back then. That was right in White Oak, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, when Maneth wouldn't tell us when 3100s was, and that was, like, our test set baseline set for those wondering – it, w- it made it hard, so like I was like, ah, whatever. It's going to be a Monday afternoon practice. I'm going to get Sarku. I'm going to treat myself. And I remember showing up, and I'm like, ooh, saw the 3100s. You know, I wish I didn't have that now. But, yeah, it was something in the water that day where we were just kind of on something. It was, and it was I, like unspoken, too, because we, yeah. we were like communicating during the set. We would dap each other up after every single 100, but like we weren't talking. <laughs> every you, single 100. When, you, when you're doing it on like 105, 110, whatever we were doing it on, you can't really talk at that point. But, you know, <laughs> there was something like we could both feel it at the time. We were both like, I'm not going to let him beat me on this next one. It Damn, was, bros, wh- it was wh- a, where was I during this? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I, I equate it now to like a pitcher going through a, a perfect game. Like you're not going to jinx it, but you're damn sure going to like keep that mojo going. And I think that's what we had. And I have, you're going to hate that I bring this one up, Jorge, but I oh, think boy. find us fondest memory of training with you was 3050s in college. <laughs> oh, when you put up the scoreboard on the whiteboard and we just went head to head, and he kept score for thirty. And I, <laughs> I hated that one. Well, it, th- remember that one? I forget what we did beforehand. I think we had a lift before that, and I always was so bad at practice after like a heavy lift. Yeah. And then he brought out that set, and he put me right next to you. <laughs> hip hip and boot, hip hip and boot. God, I hated that so much. <laughs> and then and Corey beat me on every single one, every single one. And I gave it my all, and every time I hit the wall, you better believe that Coop was right there in my face. Hip, hip, what the F are you doing? <laughs> and I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. And I just couldn't turn it on, but Corey was on one that day. It was one of those, like, when you have momentum in your favor, each one then just kind of added to the fuel of, like, I mean, I remember, like, got to five to nothing, and I was like, Yo, like let's just push it to ten to nothing, you know, and like yeah. you see these things being tallied on the board, and then you have Coop in my ear be like, "Is hip is Ore gonna like come back here, or is Boot gonna sweep him on all thirty? And I'm in my head, I'm like. I'm freaking sweeping all 30. <laughs> There's no freaking way Dude, I'm gonna let him Kip get on was, the board. And Coop was hilarious, man. <laughs> like I, on the final stretch, like the last ten. Hip hip, are you really gonna let him beat you on all thirty? How embarrassing! Like adding so much emphasis on every single word. And every other training group is now looking over, like, yeah. what is going on? You have like, <laughs> Coop. I hope you're listening to this, man. Much love to you. That was those are great times. We're gonna we're gonna send him the episode. But to Coop's credit, and why I think, and sorry, Jack, if you're a little left out here, but we obviously shared that experience later on. To his credit, I think what I loved about him is he recognized each of us as an individual, what buttons to push and when to push them. And I think he knew, like, there was this obviously deeper, you know, rivalry between you and I. Whenever you had an off practice, he was like, all right, I'm just going to put hip-hip against boot, and we're going to race in some 75s. I remember (laughs) remember being as salty in my life as 
one time we were doing get out 75s. I think it was like 20 75s race from the blocks. And you were kind of having an off time. And he just gave you this option of like, yo, hip hip, you, you get a get out swim if you beat boot on number 15 here. And it was freestyle. And I was like, this is my bread and butter. Jorge ain't getting me in a, fi- in a 75 freestyle. And he beat me. And I was just being <laughs> so thrown off. I was like, he wasn't trying all of the other 14. Like, I was all upset. And like, Hibbib's like grabbing his bag. He's like, peace, guys. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and Coop, classic Coop giving me shit on the way out, too. It's like, you, like I don't know. He was saying something. But, man, yeah, those are good times. Those are good times. But he knew how to get you out of a funk. Yeah, and look, we've I mean? been blessed with having, I don't know how your relationship with your coach was in college. We've talked about it a little bit. But we've definitely been blessed having amazing coaches throughout our career. And Coop was like the only one who really kind of knew how to really get under my skin and really, you know, get my engines going, man. Like it was pretty crazy. And I give him shouts because the year, my sophomore year when I, you know, retired that year, I was like, I'm going to give it my all and I want to get all personal best. And it, it came down to a point where I was just like, I can't let Coop down nor my other teammates because we were all in the distance group and our team was like, what, 15 people large? Not that – we were – A group, baby. A group. We were a family, you know. And I, But the one guy I just did not want to let down was Coop. Well, I think the coolest thing about him and, like, the mentality he brought, we kind of almost butted heads with the other – like, the sprint group and mid-D because Coop referred to us as A group. And he instilled into us this mentality that, like, we were the best on the team. Like, we were going to be the ones to go into the meets, set the example. And I think we took that to heart. I mean, that's what I loved about, honestly, the college dual meet lineup. And Jack is the same way. Like, we always swam the first event of the session. And I'd be curious to get your take on it. But, like, I thrived under that ability to set the tone for the meet for everyone else. Like, I wasn't really a vocal leader, but I was definitely a leader of, like, let me lead by example. And I loved that layout. Did you kind of feel that same way? Ours was a little different. I also trained in the distance group in college. And our dynamic with our, our sprint and middle distance groups, well, more so the sprint group, was, you know, we always kind of felt like they were... Not trying. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and certainly, you know, it's a sprint group. You have to do a lot of reaction work. You have to do a lot of short sets and stuff like that. That's just how the training goes. But we kind of positioned ourselves as like, you know, we're the ones who are working really hard. That was our mindset. And it actually kind of translated well because we would just demolish ourselves, like swim terribly slow at dual meets, just mm-hmm. kill ourselves all year. You know, we, we would do practices before like the Saturday morning before a dual meet and we would put up like 6,000 like tough yards before a dual meet. And we, would, we just got into this mindset where <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> we've just gotten this mindset where we're just going to abuse ourselves all year. And then when it comes time to taper, you're going to taper like a monster. And so that ended up working really well for us. And, and I think it took some time for some of us to, to see how that worked. But shouts out to my coaches, Jim and Goose and Bob and Kyle. I mean, they are an unorthodox bunch, but they, they found a way to motivate us for sure. I wish people could see that that look that Jorge and I just exchanged <laughs> as you're saying that. We're like, yo, we were a little upset that we had to swim 3,000 before, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> before the meet. 
and I sure as heck was trying to scheme out of every single 50 or 100 doing those. <laughs> Taking the longest shower. shower. I remember I back in high up. school, Maneth would do those like hour, hour and a half practices before MCSL dual meets, and we would try to get out of those True. too. Week True. three, week three every year, MCSL. <laughs> Low attendance that Saturday morning, and it was so funny because I remember like giving you guys crap. That was when I first started to really realize like, in the grand scheme of things, like, what does a coach's long course invite mean? What does this mean? Like, the real emphasis is who can be the fastest when it matters the most, which is that, that one meet, that one taper mm-hmm. meet. I'd be curious to hear how you guys approach it. But, like, I remember, like, Friday afternoon practice and dual meet season in college or that Saturday morning workout. Like, I knew in season, like, it didn't matter when the practice was. It didn't matter what the lift was. Like, I wasn't going to, quote, unquote, self-taper. Like, I was going to still give it there because i knew where the emphasis really lied how did you guys learn to approach that i'd be curious oh i self-tapered <laughs> <laughs> that's just, but i knew i needed it too i at that point that was in college and mm. i just like knew i i kind of needed it and i think coop did too because he would clearly see me just not doing something but wouldn't really say much unless he kind of needs to say something yeah there's that fine line of like <laughs> how do i make sure i'm still getting the training but make sure I can still actually be competitive at yeah. the dual meet because nothing's worse than being that dude that's getting his ass kicked by the seven other swimmers there. And you're like, I'm just burnt out. I'm dead tired. Right. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. I think we've all had experiences like that at yeah, some point. Absolutely. And, and for me personally, it, my first two years of college, I was really committed. You know, I, I did not self taper at all. I was completely with the program. My junior year, I lost focus a bit, honestly. I had a lot of other stuff going on. I was recruiting for internships. I had a girlfriend at the time. You know, I really, swimming was not my priority. Senior year was kind of when I learned to re-engage, trust the process again. And, you know, that that Ivy League championships my senior year, I didn't go my best time in 4IM, but I I put up lifetime best in two fly, two back, which... You guys know my backstroke. I was a B finalist <laughs> at Ivy League Championships in 200 backstroke, which is ridiculous. Which is but. wild, yeah, given your background. I'd be curious. I wanted to know this for a while for you guys. Looking back on it, what was your proudest moment throughout just swimming? It could be training. It could be meet. What was kind of that moment that you look back on and you're like, damn, I'm proud. I made myself proud. That, that was the moment. Well, I, I kind of have an answer, but. You can go ahead. All right. I think for me, it was making B finals at NCSA Juniors senior year in 4IM. I think that was kind of really my first time being competitive at a national meet. And, and some of the other guys in that heat, I don't remember which of the Litherland triplets was in that heat, but Gunnar Bentz was in that heat. Some, some really fat, I mean, Gunnar Bentz is an Olympian. Jay Litherland's an Olympian. I think, uh, you know, just really testing myself against national competition and and succeeding i did well a little bit of outside smoke i was in lane one so that was really the first time that i got a chance to put myself against not just the fastest kids in our area but the fastest kids in the country and in the world and i exceeded my own expectations that was probably my proudest moment that's a good one no mine definitely was making junior nationals the first time around and I know that's a little bit kind of bitter for you, Jack, but obviously you flipped that around two yeah, weeks I'm afterwards. Just show myself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you know, went way faster than what we were going. So, but leading up to that meet, I mean, that was insane, right? Like, think about the practice squad that we were in. You know, we had Tarbreak, right, Nick, Trevor, and all of us were gunning to make it. And we knew – it's like we had that pact that was never kind of vocalized, but we knew that this was the meet that we were going to do it because we were training our butts off. And 
I was a backstroker and Tarbrick was a butterflier and you know that 200 backstroke 200 fly like Tarbrick made it but like that meet was so crazy because I thought my best shot was at 4 a.m. which was like that first day or was it the second day it was on a Friday. So first, so yeah, it was first day excluding. It, it was the distance. first day, and I was swimming 100 fly, and I didn't swim 100 fly that meet because I was saving up for that 4 a.m. And I missed it by, like, point something. And then at finals, I gained, like, a second. I'm like, wow, I, I'm not going to make it now. And then I remember I did a time trial where I swam it by myself, and then I missed it again. So I swam it three times along mm. with swimming my, all my other races. And then leading into that last day, what I had left was a 200 back in the 2IM. And 200 fly was before the 200 back, and Tarbrick makes it in a 200 fly. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, all right, we've been racing, him doing butterfly, me doing backstroke for months leading up to this meet. If he makes, made it in that, I can sure as heck make it in the backstroke. And I remember I took it out so crazy fast. With the last 50 of that 200 back, I, like, I felt like I wasn't moving. And I hit the wall, I look up, and I made it by, like, 0.5 or something, like, very minuscule. And I just remember I like walked. I couldn't even walk afterwards. And I'm walking up to my Manath. I saw my goggles on, and Manath goes like this, like giving me a hug. And then I just start bawling right then and there. Like it was just such a heavy moment, you know. I was like busting my ass this entire meet, and I make it an event that I just did not think I was going to make it in. I love that. I remember each of those moments for you guys, which is super cool. Would love to add mine. I think for me it was. 14 year old J.O.'s like that was finally that first meet where I beat both of you <laughs> in something <laughs> but also won like in the PVS area like a couple of events and that was finally this like oh okay like I can be good at this it I was fine I that memory yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you man but that to me like that was like the confidence boost that I needed because going into that point in time like 13 like was honestly the, probably the closest that I got to giving up on like all right like am I gonna be able to hang with you guys long term like I don't know like I was freaking two minutes in the 200 free at 13 like so slow and then somehow the, the next year, like, I dropped 13 seconds in the 200. I dropped a minute plus in the mile. Like, it was one of those, like, holy crap. Like, okay, I do belong here. Like, I do belong with you guys. I'm that's glad when, I had that's that That's when moment. the mile started becoming your event, like, hardcore. That was my bread and butter. And then Jack and I would just – I remember, I think it was senior year, like, him and I just ripped it at a November Open. I ended up tying Delaware's team record as a senior in high school because Jack and I just pushed each other at this random meet. I remember that. I was yeah, throw down. I was crazy. Mention that one. It's probably it's not my proudest memory per se, but it's one of my best memories for sure. Yeah. That was I think just the epitome of our relationship and the yeah. way we pushed one another. No, our senior year, Jack was definitely my favorite swimmer to watch at that time. Because he was going up against he the was on big one, dogs. He was on I mean, one. Jonathan Ekstrom. And he, right there, dude. Yeah. Right there in the mile. Brady Welch. Brady Welch, yeah. Dude, remember that? that I think it was either the 500 or the 1,000. And the dude was a monster. He, he never died. He had a very funny stroke <laughs> that was so powerful, right? And he was just known for those distant swims. And then I remember you, you were just right there the entire time. And then I think you smoked in the last 50, but it looked so like nonchalant. You had a very elegant stroke, especially in the 4 a.m., 
And then with Corey, my favorite was that 500 free finals, dude, at conferences in college. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, came back that last 100, literally maybe like half a bar length behind. He was in lane four, expected to win. And then you see these jets turn on and it just, it just felt, I'm like, wow, like this, it was crazy. The entire stand was just jumping up and down, like, look at him go, look at him go. And then he hits the wall and just like destroys everyone, hops out of the water and just like acting like a like a boss <laughs> it was sick it was sick it. on the podium literally acting like a boss like putting like the metal like in between his teeth and shit i'm like <laughs> look at this guy <laughs> big shot over here <laughs> need some water man <laughs> i think all of those moments were a long time coming it's it's cool we all mentioned moments that like was this accumulation of so much and i think that's what's so cool about swimming yeah uh, what i've taken from it is I mean, dude, you have, we had to work nine months to go and have an opportunity to do a little bit better than we did the year before. Right. Mm-hmm. And then most of the time, like, that didn't happen. We had to go back to the drawing board of another year yeah. to go again. I'd be also curious to know for both of you, what would you identify as the biggest failure throughout the years? And what was the lesson that you learned from that failure? I think it's for me the one that I said earlier about really just not committing to the grind my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really poor Ivy Champs performance uh, that year, and, and you know, <laughs> do, is it something that I sit here regretting every day? No, no. but uh, I think that's my freshman and sophomore years were like really good. I was putting up really solid times, and I, I think if I had stuck with it a little bit more, I could have been right there to compete for championships my junior and senior year but i had other priorities so it's Mm -hmm. it's a regret it's not something i dwell on but i think that's that's probably my biggest regret slash disappointment yeah mine was definitely freshman year of college hands down finally in college my parents were a little uptight growing up and you know had that freedom and so forth and obviously swimming was number one, one priority which is why i got to you know went to delaware in the first place and then you know that conference meet i i just didn't train as hard as i should have and i was like you know what i'm just going to close this chapter of my life here and then something exciting was like i cannot go out this way you know i I just cannot and then i just took it seriously my sophomore year and i pr in all my events which was awesome but that yeah that year was def and that's what i've carried on to you know for the years after that just like I don't want to feel that way again, and I know how to not get there, right? So even with work now or things like that, like, you know, I know what I kind of need to do and kind of catch myself before I'm like, okay, I don't want to have a year like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because, damn, that's a long time, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, 100%. That'd be remiss, too. We don't talk, obviously, this recent transition that we all kind of went through moving out here to L.A., choosing to live with one another again i think it's super funny like jorge and i were roommates in college and there was definitely a point in my life when i was like i'm never living with that dude again (laughs) here we are and i couldn't be more grateful to be sitting here living with you guys doing life on a daily basis with you all but how has that been for you guys and i'll share like how it's been for me but would be curious to know how it's been for you guys so far living with each other or just that transition out here, like, yeah. especially for us because we came from Definitely. the East Coast. 
No, very seamless. I mean, I was in New York before this for quite some time, and, you know, I loved it there. It's definitely always going to have a very special place in my heart, and I, I learned a lot, personal and professional career, and then moved back home for the pandemic, and obviously you and I started hanging out more, and it felt like I was definitely, we were on the same wavelength, mm-hmm. right? It, time to grow, and where I wanted to be, I knew at that time I was like I want to surround myself with the people who I need to get myself to where I want to be and when I hung out with Corey I'm like this is the guy you know who would be great to live with and that was way before October when we came to visit Jack and then things just kind of fell into place and that entire process I mean everything fell into place from us visiting you at the same time and then reaching out to you saying that we want to move there and then Corey finding that house and us joking like ah there's no way we're going to get that and then now we're here, <laughs> you know, it's the whole, the whole thing was wild. Well, I think the wild part about it is I texted Jack saying, Hey, I think I'm going to come to LA these dates in October. I'm going to like line up some stuff with business. Is it cool if I stay with you? And he goes, yeah, that's perfect. That's weird. Cause Jorge is also going to be here for half of those dates. Like this is gonna be lit. Like <laughs> the three of us back together again. And then we have a blast, a great time. And then I know you had talked about like, Oh, maybe this is the next move. I remember thinking, I uh, sat and digested that trip. I remember texting Jack like a few weeks, I don't even know, it was a few days, a few weeks later, like, hey man, like, would you be down to live with one another? I'm thinking about like LA being the next chapter for me. And he goes, this is freaking wild because Jorge also just texted me <laughs> the exact same thing. Group chat reignited, like, let's all look for a house. And it's it's a beautiful thing how we manifested this. This place, a block from the water, a beautiful yard, a great podcast studio to just vibe out. And it's amazing, right, how it all worked out. It really is. And obviously, knowing you guys so long and just our whole history, coming into this living situation, I knew that I was going to have an absolute blast. And I think the big question for, for all of us was, can we find that secret sauce that we had back in high school where we all pushed one another to be our best selves? And I think you know, we're uh, three months and change into living with one another so far. And not to speak for both of you, but I, I think we definitely have found it. I, just speaking for myself, during the pandemic, and for those of you listening in the future, we're recording May 2021. I think <laughs> I think it. I got really complacent during the pandemic. I, I was not working out. I was not eating right. I wasn't really taking my job that seriously. I, and I wasn't respecting myself. And putting myself in a situation with two guys who respect me enough to to call me out on my bullshit when I need it, to, to push me, I think it was the best possible thing that could have happened for me. And I'm not only am I happier on a day-to-day basis than I was prior to living with you guys, I'm, I'm doing better at work. I'm more active. I My mental state is better. My relationship with some of my other friends is better. It's just been, you know, it's meant the world to me. Same. Same. I mean, I looked at this opportunity to move out here as obviously a huge risk running my own. Like you guys have solid jobs with, you know, a salary slash commission. Like you guys obviously work hard for it, but a little bit more is guaranteed than the situation that I'm in. And I was like, yo, I couldn't honestly think of two other people on this planet that I'd rather take this bet and risk with on my side and I think Jorge said it earlier of this intentionality of surrounding yourself with people that are where you want to be like I look at Jack 
from a career standpoint, and I'm like, that's he's rolling in some success there. Like, I want to be surrounded with him. I look at the drive that you have on the phones every day as a recruiter. I'm like, I need to surround myself with that kind of energy because, again, like, I could sit in my room. I could sit on the couch watching TV every day because I got, quote-unquote, freedom to run my own schedule, and it's great. But when I hear both of you guys grinding and working, I'm, I can't help but feel like, am I getting behind? And I need that extra push. So much love to you guys. I, I appreciate it. And I think it really goes to show to Jack's metrics there, like the people that you surround yourself with, you can choose to be really intentional. And that's something I keep saying on the show, like in life post sport, it's a beautiful thing because all of a sudden you have this ability to choose who's on your life team. You have this ability to choose who are your teammates. It's no longer like, oh, I just got put in this crappy team culture. No, you actually have this full control over what kind of culture do you immerse yourself in? And that's going to be a huge determining factor of how successful you're going to be. Definitely. 100%. I agree with that so wholeheartedly. And I live with really great guys, you know, after college too. And they have taught me so much. But like living here, it's just, it all makes sense. You know what I mean? It just feels right. It feels like when we're grinding day in and day out, it feels like, you know, it doesn't feel like we're grinding, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all doing it together and we're all doing it in such different worlds too, which is hilarious, you know? But yeah, it's been right. I think that's the cool, I mean, to me, I like it piques my curiosity, right? Like you're working hard in your area, you're working hard in your area. And for context, Jorge's a recruiter, Jack's in finance at Oak Tree in the hedge fund space. And like, obviously I'm in the performance coaching space. And because we're all in these different areas, I can kind of look at it like, okay, what can I pull from what Jorge does really well? What can I pull from what Jack does really well? And add it into like my own secret sauce. And like, I've said it to some friends. I think I've said it to you guys. Like each week, it's kind of crazy. I feel like we're finding another groove, another level. Again, much like we did when we were training. I mean, think back when we first moved in, we weren't operating at the level that we're operating currently in May, and I guarantee you we're going to be operating on an even higher level a year from now or yeah. even a month from now because we just ha- we all have this growth mindset of, like, how can we keep getting better? How can we keep getting better and keep pushing one another? I mean, I'm seeing it with you with signing up for the Malibu Try. Like, Jack's just on track to get a fat bonus. I can't wait till he takes us out to <laughs> dinner at Nobu. It's going to be so sick. Uh, Appreciate you, Jack. <laughs> my boss isn't listening. <laughs> Ramsey, he didn't mean it. <laughs> Just slide him a few extra bucks. You know, I want some sushi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, I, and I completely agree. And I think going back to the first thing that we talked about on this podcast, just the how thrilled we all are when one another succeeds, I think it, it just – is complete evidence to me that we haven't lost what we had in high school. Every time that Corey tells me he signed a new client or somebody new signed up for one of his programs or, or, you know, the recent initial success that you've had with the book, I think it's, it's all just, I personally feel thrilled by it. Every time Jorge closes a deal or has a, a good call, you know, I'm sitting right next to him. You know, eight, eight, <laughs> you eight, must, you eight to ten hours. Pitching the same thing if, over if and over again. If I'm going to sit, less than five feet away from somebody eight to ten hours a day five days a week honestly i would be i would expect myself to get annoyed but i'm not because you know you're one of my oldest friends and and you know your success is important to me 
and yeah. I'm just you know glad to to witness it right. and to if I am help. Right, right. For anyone listening out there, this is uh, me asking for help. Please, please help. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but honestly, I I swear to God, like I, I feel I feel the same the same exact way. And I live with Corey in college, so we got to, you know, know each other on a personal level, like what we do in and out on a daily basis. And I never had that opportunity with you. And it's just been fucking sick, dude, like seeing how passionate you are about like baseball and like these other little things and, you know, just building that next level of that personal relationship with you, even though I've known you my entire life, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So that's been cool. And, you know, I love that. But yeah, everything here has been really awesome. You know, I think just like being right next to the beach and like being able to do the things that we've kind of like always talked about. And now that we're like, we're older and we're like trying to find that next gear has been awesome. But you know, seeing Corey grind and like launch this business and seeing everything that he has done on a day to day basis. I mean, the whiteboard with like, you know, everything detailed, what am I going to do? What am I going to do today? Right. As a recruiter, like everything that Corey has done thus far, you know, I had someone there training me, right. Planning for each day, how to make X amount of calls, being detail oriented, staying organized. I had someone train me for all that. And then, you know, here's Corey, like uh, doing that. And he taught all this to himself and that's that's what's been really cool and that's what i always can appreciate like that hustle dude that hustle was hard man and that's why like when you know Corey signs that new client or like whatever it might be i'm like hell yeah dude you're working with a guy who hustles his ass off not just from you know doing this but like from being first in the water every single day and then finally finding success many years down the road right and you know i think it all kind of tailors back into what you ingrain in your mind, like what I had said earlier with me thinking to myself for many years, oh, I'm not going to swim well in the morning and I'm just going to kick butt at night. And then you grinding your swimming career because you knew you had to do a best time in the morning to get, you know, Mm. to B or, or A finals. And, you know, you've continued that the entire way through. And it's kept me honest because sometimes I do find the easy way out. Right. And I have started being more honest about myself through, you know, meditating i know we do that a lot like mindfulness and stuff but it kind of brings up those moments where it's like you don't necessarily want to think about your weaknesses right yeah man it's been a very powerful crew so far and it's only been three (laughs) three and a half months man like that's crazy (laughs) that's what i you know like being a little retrospective here like i'm looking at it i'm like all right cool like what have i done in this three and a half months like podcast has obviously grown shout out to everyone listening appreciate you love you it means the world honestly but like this bali retreat that i'm putting on is actually a reality where we've sold tickets we have sponsors like like what and just for the record too Corey planned that trip when i'm doing the malibu try because he didn't want to race me i totally get it i was dude i've seen the momentum that you've been building over the the past few months here and like I'm a little nervous, so um, yeah, I'm just not going to show up. I'm going to be on the other side of the world. But you know, like, I look at little things or big projects like that or the co-author book and all this, but what I love about you guys is you're going to be cheering for me and I can share the little details and the little wins with you guys too, and we're going to celebrate those just as hard as these big things and these big accomplishments, and that's honestly what we've done all these years, whether we've known it or not, and it's so funny you talking about this like recipe of all these different things kind of coming together and we're, we're experiencing new flow states. It's no secret. Like as I study flow performance, peak state, like it's amazing how I start to pick up on these stuff. And I'm like, definitely 
damn, we there's 17 flow triggers, and I get, <laughs> we have pretty much all 17 it's, at yeah. freaking work right now, <laughs> and it's rocket fuel, it's magic, and it's amazing, and that's kind of what I try to help other people with. So 100%. appreciate mm-hmm. you guys helping me find it myself. Likewise. I want to ask you guys one of the last questions. What would the athletic mindset mean to, to each of you? If you had to sum it up. Oof. For me personally or yeah. let's uh or yeah. personally. You know that's honestly a topic that I could probably talk talk about for a little while. Part but two. Yeah, I guess I guess part <laughs> Episode two. Episode two hundred. <laughs> but I I truthfully think I'm just gonna piggyback off that friendly competition because I think that goes a long way and I really didn't think about that until we started recording this. But it's so true, you know, just us being kind of like together and we already have that athletic background. But I think I've seen that athletic background even with people who, you know, didn't grow up as an athlete, right? And who are just hungry, whether it's money, they got a debt, or, you know, they want money because they grew up, you know, in a middle class, whatever it might be, whatever the situation might be. I have seen people who have, you know, not athletes at the beginning have that same drive and mentality that athletes do, especially swimmers. But I think that mindset is just, you know, finding some sort of passion or what you think you might be good at and trying it out, finding that hobby and not, you know, taking no for an answer too, right? And if, I mean, there was definitely times where I, you know, was definitely lazier and I, and I, and I put on some pounds and, you know, I just kind of wasn't happy. But in the same breath, I just didn't have like those hobbies. I kind of gave up on trying to finding what was right for me. And, you know, I kind of pushed through that barrier, fortunately, but I think that pushing through that b- barrier is that athletic mindset, right? Pushing yourself to new boundaries out of your comfortability zone. And that was a lot of the reason why I moved out here, even though it was with you guys, but it was the other side of the coast and things kind of worked out. But I think, you know, that'll probably sum it up for me at this point in time. Yeah. Going outside of that comfort zone, obviously, is easier when you're surrounded with people familiar people Mm -hmm. that's for sure i think for me it's that ability to shut everything else out just speaking from my experience in high school swimming i had a lot of stuff going on with you know college recruiting i had a lot of stuff going on with school you know i was in a, a pretty demanding high school program a lot of stuff going on at home and every time i showed up to mlk you know you guys helped me shut all of that out focus on the set in front of me and I think that that's a large part of why I had so much success is because we all three shared that trait. So I, I think just, you know, when you put people with that mindset together, you're going to have some synergies. And I'm glad we had it in high school, and I'm glad we have it again today. Yeah. That's what I appreciate about both of you guys. Like, you're the kind of people that, honestly, there's been points in our lives where we've gone months, year, <laughs> some year almost, of little to no contact. But... I mean, we're able to pick it up just like this, like a day hasn't passed. So I love both of you deeply, deeply appreciate you both, what you both do. This has been super fun. want to ask you one last question. We're going to abbreviate the fast five to just one. What's your one word focus at this point in time? Consistency. Determination for me. Freaking fired up. Just listen to you boys. <laughs> Jorge, Jack, again, just want to acknowledge you boys for just being some of the realest people I know. Thank you for taking the time. I'm glad we finally made this happen. It's a magical episode. 
If you're listening in there and you found value in these guys, hit them up. They're great dudes. I'll drop their bio, their Instagrams in the <laughs> show notes here. Yeah. We just need to send this to the old OG MLK crew, man. Absolutely. All those guys. We're going to blow it up. That's for sure. Appreciate you all taking the time to listen today. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action. That's needed there, too, at a time. I will see you all on Friday for episode 101. Dudley boys out.